Goodson Book Club. My name is James. And I'm Marco Sparks. What's up? What's going on? Uh, this is the inaugural episode of a podcast about Neil Stevenson's books. Uh, at least for now, we may eventually branch out to other authors, but Neil Stevenson writes really long books, so we've got got plenty of road in front of us. We've got years of content. Got a lot of highway. <laughs> We're going to do a three-hour episode just in that Kickstarter video alone. Oh, the 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 failed um, sword yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I wonder. A bunch of people just paid money into that, and I don't believe they got anything. <laughs> Well, the the lack of nuance that you're building an engine, not an actual game. Mm-hmm. But I just like the idea of him in a fucking smoking jacket, and then B walks into a door, and people are just fighting with swords all around him. Yeah. So um, I guess the first question you might have if you're listening is, who are we? Who are you, Marco Sparks? Uh, I'm just a guy on the internet who likes Neil Stevenson. You? Uh, so as I mentioned, my name is James. Last name Taylor. No, not that guy. Um, also a guy in the internet who likes Neil Stevenson. Um, we have other podcasts. Um, once upon a time, we're the internet's number one pretty little liars podcast. That's not a joke. If you still are. If you found us not from the PLL side of things, you're probably like, what the fuck? Um, and if you found us from the PLL side of things, you're probably like, what is, who's Neil Stevenson? So <laughs> we're really, um, we're branching out possibly into new demographic who may hate us. And that's cool. <laughs> I think when it comes to people like us, the overlap mm-hmm. between trashy teen murder dramas and Neil Stevenson and like starting of cyberpunk into other kinds of speculative fiction, there are dozens of us. Yeah, I think there comes a time in, in, in a man's life when he starts hitting the, uh, you know, the Middle Ages where maybe podcasting about teen murder mysteries isn't quite what it once was. You know, maybe it's time to, to move on to dad entertainment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. despite the fact that neither of us are fathers are we just embracing our our, our middle-aged white guyness here i guess so in a way i mean cool. i have no idea who likes neil students in books because i feel like it's i'm always looking for somebody to talk to neil students about mm-hmm. um to talk about neil students with oh i'd love um, to talk to neil students yeah. about anything yeah <laughs> but it just seems like even in the far corners of the internet like they must exist. Like people buy his books, but I feel like I mostly just see people complaining about Neil Stevenson books. So here's my here's my stone cold fear mm-hmm. that like like we're gonna discover in a news article or, or a fucking tweet or something that like the world's biggest Neil Stevenson fan is like Elon Musk. <laughs> That's what terrifies. I mean, me. all tech guys are huge Neil Stevenson fans. Yeah. I think yeah. like all the, yeah. like the tech CEOs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Elon Musk. There's like a quasi Elon Musk character in seventies. So. Mm. I, he has well, to be I mean, Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson used to work for a rocket company. So, yeah. Yeah. Neil Stevenson sure, sure has a pretty met. good gig being like, I'm a futurist. Pay me lots of money and I'll yeah, just yeah. like, I'll just blue sky some ideas for you and not do any of the actual work. And yeah. you pay me a lot of money for that. <laughs> I'll sit on the board. Yeah. Also, my house may or may not contain a moat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, Part of the reason we're doing this podcast is I think we both like Neil Stevenson and it's an excuse to reread his books. And maybe there are other people out there who like Neil Stevenson who aren't Elon Musk. Yeah. I mean, let's just go and say, too, uh, cryptocurrency is bullshit. I mean, well, when we get to Cryptonomicon in like five years, you know, or however long that takes. um, Yeah, we can talk all about cryptocurrency. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if he's ever done an interview on like what he thinks of Bitcoin because he kind of invented the whole concept. But I don't know. I don't know if he's offered uh, his own perspectives on on how that's evolved in the world. 
Honestly, Ryan from the OC has said more online <laughs> than Neil Stevenson has about Bitcoin. I mean, he, do, he does a few interviews every now and then. Um, the one he did for Termination Shock was, it was interesting. He seemed much less guarded than he used to be. Like he said uh-huh. in the past, like he really doesn't like the people assume a certain like perspective or politics or ideology about mm-hmm. him based on his books. He's like, he's like, you're making a big mistake. If you think like I'm this character, or I'm like, mm. you know, these are like my ideals or whatnot. So, uh, but the most recent uh, interview, he, he kind of seemed like a typical, typical, you know, middle-aged liberal, you know, so maybe mm. he's not, don't want to assume too much, but he just seemed like a pretty normal dude. Do you think there's like an Enoch coin out there? I mean, I don't know. I sure maybe. I don't. It, it's all such a massive scam. Sorry, sorry to anyone who found this book club podcast and they're huge crypto people, but uh, we just kind of think it's nonsense. Yeah, everything um, you're devoted to is the fucking. I mean, joke, I'm, I'm so. sure some people Cheers. are getting rich on it, but it just kind of seems like a big. But it's, but it's it's not you. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably not you. It's probably not even Matt Damon, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think he actually, he just got paid to be in commercial. So he's making money but off it. How did he get paid? Did he get paid in crypto? I wouldn't accept crypto. <laughs> I'd be like, back up the, the real US greenbacks to my door yeah. and I'll do that stupid commercial for you. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's who we are. We also have a, a podcast called Headcanon, which is about film and TV, uh, mostly like major franchises and movies we like and whatnot. But we want to do something a little different, do a book club podcast that could potentially morph into other books besides neil students and books but we'll see yeah we'll see if people like it you know Um, i i just think after we did something so broad with pll mm -hmm. i feel like we're very excited by something so niche and weird but is extremely our shit yeah, because I feel like whenever I go looking for Neil Stevenson conversation online, it's mostly people complaining about him mm-hmm. and like how they like didn't like the ending of one of his books or something, which I'm sure we can discuss his uh, his endings and how they evolve over time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that, that hopefully explains the why we're doing a Neil Stevenson podcast, uh, just because we want to, man. Yeah, the rest of the why will just be found in the next 25 episodes about Snow Crash. Yeah, we plan to take a pretty leisurely pace, I would say. We're doing yeah. the first five chapters in this podcast. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't have the physical book in front of me, but there's like 72 chapters or something, 71. So. Yeah, sometimes, you know, about five, maybe sometimes more, sometimes a little less. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when we get to the, like the ancient Sumerian, we <laughs> might slow down a little there. Yeah. Well, and this is just Snow Crash. Like his books, sometimes he has very long chapters, sometimes they're short chapters, sometimes there are no chapters. It just kind of keeps going and going. So but we'll figure out that, how to apportion those when we get to him. In the process of segue, Snow Crash is like his, not his first book, but it's like his first real book. This is what put him on the map as yeah. like an important writer. In the, in the you know, language of tropes, this is when he grew the beard. Mm-hmm. Um, so question for you, speaking of his first big book, how did you first discover Neil Stevenson? Uh, an audio excerpt of the first chapter on Salon.com. Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. Good yeah. old salon.com. I used to, back in the day when we used to, well, I still do this, but I used to just go to a website and read it like a newspaper every day. Yeah. 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 Salon.com was a mainstay for me. And they, they offered it. Uh, Cause I, I, when, when I, was this? Do you, can you give me like a ballpark, like mid 2000s or earlier? You must've been. Cause I, I must've been in my early to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I think I had heard of the book and I think I had tried to read the first chapter or two in my God, that's a huge jug of water. That thing's bigger than your head. 
It's a gallon. Jesus I gotta, gotta hydrate, man. Relax. Shit. Zoom. When you're when you're done drinking that, do you just pee into it while we're in the middle of recording? I tried doing a gallon a day. It was I was peeing way too much. You and I could both pee in that thing together all day long and you'd never fill it. My God. Anyway, um I think I tried to read the first chapter or two in like bookstores and stuff, and I couldn't get into it because uh if you're coming to Neil Stevenson cold tone and like the dryness of his wit is a big thing and i think i needed honestly like an audio excerpt of the first chapter to be like oh i get was this it book. was it him reading it or someone else i don't believe it was him but i could be wrong okay. interesting um yeah i believe you mailed me a copy of the book is I was saying, I, I i'm pretty sure I, I forced it on you well because yeah. i you mailed me the book i was when i was living in san diego and i like i read the first chapter and, and like you know, just i couldn't get into it it was like just kind of weird and confusing yeah, and I was just like, I think I hadn't read enough stylized uh, literature at that point. I mm. read mostly just like Star Wars books and like Tolkien, you know. Um, so this is just like very odd and strange. And then like a month or two later, I think I tried it again and like ended up plowing through the whole thing. Um, and just immediately went out and bought a lot more of his books, partly because I really like Snow Crash, and partly because I had a crush on a girl who worked at Borders Books at the time and needed to keep going there and purchasing impressive seeming books, you know. That's fair. Continue that. Does that work if it's the same author over and over again? It wasn't always Neil Stevenson. Okay. But like I Sometimes definitely, I definitely bought. No, it would have been like like some Thomas Pinchon. You know, I was like trying to like fast uh, up a little. Um, I but I definitely I, I bought like um, blanking on the name of the book. Um, not the confusion, but the one before that. Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Yes, I bought that and read it, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Mm, um, mm. But yeah, so I, I think I didn't really like quote unquote get Neil Stevenson until like I got to Cryptonomicon, like going mm. in order from like Snow Crash to Diamond's Age to uh, Cryptonomicon. I mean, I, I enjoyed the books, but like it wasn't until like I really got to like the Bobby Shafto stuff in Cryptonomicon that I like understood his humor. Like I, mm. I realized that like, oh, there were a lot of jokes I'm probably, I probably missed in those other books. Like I was entertained by the plot and whatnot, but like a lot of his subtle humor, I think people hey. will miss. And I, I feel like people still miss it to this day. Like they, they take them too straight when like, I think everything he writes is at least a little bit tongue in cheek. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like when something seems kind of absurd or over the top or just like kind of too edgelord adjacent, it's like, yeah, it's meant to be like, you should, you should smile at it. And it's, he knows what he's doing. Uh, folks, the main character of this book is called hero protagonist. Yes. It's, it's hero and, spelled in Japanese style. Yeah. So yes, uh, tongue firmly in cheek, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's a, the, the, if you know nothing, the first chapter will throw you because it's a it's a cyberpunk book making fun of cyberpunk books, mm-hmm. um, but like in a way where you never had to read Neuromancer, which I have not. Yeah, well, and if you're like either of us, probably when we first read it, we had no no great knowledge of the the genre other than right. like very surface level, and so I don't think we realized that it was making fun of. It's yeah. like it's like it it is a cyberpunk book, but it's also satirizing cyberpunk mm-hmm. at the same time. And 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 like all science fiction, which is not about prediction, it's about extrapolation of the now. Uh, in this particular case, it's a pretty good glimpse into like things that are possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's really endured about this book, and probably like I feel like it's like the the top footnote in is like Wikipedia is just like look at all the stuff he predicted. Basically, you know, like mm-hmm. the metaverse is a, t- a term that he coined himself in in mm-hmm. this book. Um, but before Which we get I into, groaned when when you had to watch the fucking Zuckerberg 
you know, unveiling of their metaverse. Yeah, it's because like, all those tech you. guys with red snow crashed like a million yeah. years ago, and they've been trying to make that ever since. Yeah. Uh, but before I get into general discussion of snow crash, um, just had a question for you. Do you have yeah. a favorite Neil Stevenson book? Uh it's a trifecta of of because I have not read any as many of the books as you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which this podcast will hope to correct. Yeah, hopefully. Um, Snow Crash, of course, has a is near and dear to me. Diamond Age is maybe my favorite right now in my memory, but I also have an extreme love for Anathem. You can see that. You can see that. Diamond Age is definitely like one of my early favorites. Um, it's really Diamond hard. Age, which we will have to podcast with a fucking dictionary open beside us <laughs> every page. The man has a vocabulary. Yeah, it's oh. it's hard for me to, to pick one. I mean, mine is either Anathem, which I think Anathem might be his, his like true masterpiece hmm. of, of all his many masterpieces. Um, but the book that's just I find deliriously entertaining is The Confusion, the middle part of the Baroque cycle. I love that book. Like, it's so fun. And it's like, I feel like it's him like completely unleashed and just like enjoying himself. And that's like, I think we'll talk about it in, you know, 75 episodes when we get to it. But like, that is the great unrealized HBO TV show, which you and I have talked about in podcasts oh my before. God. That would be incredible. I mean, the yeah. confusion spans like 20 years or something. Like, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you have Cryptonomicon. I mean, you have, you have mm-hmm. four fascinating books there. Yeah. <sighs> Bring some of those characters back and re- and not read the um, fall fall yeah. dodge and hell yeah. yeah. All right, well uh, let's get into a little general discussion of Snow Crash, published in 1992, originally intended as a computer generated graphic novel. <laughs> I think he said that he wrote more like code on the Mac than actual like you know novel writing for it. And it, they, it like they never were, went anywhere. They were trying to like code it almost like uh, I was reading something about. Uh, Pixar's Brave, mm-hmm. where it wasn't parts of it weren't animated. They were it was coded in the sense that like there was an algorithm, an AI algorithm to how her hair would move. Sure. So like if they were say there's wind in this shot, it would decide which strands of hair would move. Uh, and it sounds like that's kind of like what they were trying to do back in the '90s with this graphic novel, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in general, this book is Stevenson's pretty chill about offering social commentary without being an insufferable asshole about it. Yeah, coined the term metaverse, which uh, unfortunately we all know all about today. Yeah. Zuckerberg is literally plowing like hundreds of billions of dollars into making a thing from this book that came out like 30 years ago. Yeah, I guess 30 years ago this uh, this year. Hmm. Uh, popularized the term avatar. Didn't invent the term, but um, was one the one who like really popularized it as meaning like a digital representation of yourself. It's over when when he changes his name to like Mark, but with like a like a five instead of an R or whatever. I mean, what would he use? He, like what number would Mark Zucker, or maybe just like the at symbol? That'd be dumb for like the A, but <laughs> yeah. Where the Zuckerberg becomes a two instead of a Z. for a guy who looks like uh, like one of the early rejects. Can he robots not that, afford that became, a barber? That's that what I don't understand. Data and and uh, lore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, this book foretold what would become Google Earth is uh, on Time Magazine's list of the 100 all-time best English language novels written since 1923, which is kind of specific, but sure. Um, apparently, the film and TV rights are still owned by Frank Marshall's production company. It's like 
been close to like like i feel like i've been reading about like oh yeah they're gonna make the snow crash tv show or they're gonna make a movie like for over a decade to the point that it was a joke on an episode of party down yeah was it was it was it no bradley cooper was gonna do hyperion it was somebody it's joke cornish somebody odd like bradley cooper was attached at one point to like on the creative side well i know clooney optioned the diamond age at one point and was going to make a tv show out of it which is completely bizarre and that never happened either but yeah um i don't know if you could make any of i I think it'd be interesting to to adapt his work to film or tv but i feel like he's the kind of writer where like i don't know if we could ever capture the the voice you know in another format like these these are meant to be books first and foremost yeah uh tone wise the the classic novel that it reminds me of most of you know, not at all in the plot specifics but is john kennedy o'toole's a confederacy of dunces which is another book where uh, <laughs> brave people have attempted to do a film adaptation and failed repeatedly yeah i just I, and there's definitely especially when you get to like kryptonomicon there's something shown in there for sure but yeah, yeah this this book in particular like so much of the fun is in the way it's written i don't know how well you would capture that without it just seeming like another ready player one on on the screen, which it's kind of hilarious reading this now. and just thinking of how much, I mean, ripping off is like almost too tame a word yeah. for it, but it's like ready player one doesn't exist without this book. Pretty much. I was just but saying you, you literally the next time it was just, you can smell the parts that that guy yeah. was desperate to rip off. Um, and yet, and that this first chapter, I feel like in the way of a recap, we're almost not selling in an exciting way. Our main character works as a pizza delivery driver for the mafia in the mafia. future <laughs> and calls himself the deliberator. I don't think we've, we get a, a year date as I recall. I don't believe so. I mean, this book uh, was written in the early, early nineties, presumably taking place not that far in the future. It's, it's not like a hundred years in the future or anything. It's like the near future. Yeah. It, it's like, there's so much stuff that just feels like, like now. Um, <laughs> can I just read the second paragraph of the book? Go for it. I don't know that I can match the hard-boiled tone that this requires, but when they gave him the job, they gave him the gun. Deliberator never deals in cash, but someone might come after him anyway. Might want his car or his cargo. The gun is tiny, aero-style, lightweight, the kind of a gun a fashion designer would carry. It fires teensy darts that fly at five times the velocity of an SR-71 spy plane. When you get done using it, you have to plug it into the cigarette lighter because it runs on electricity. It's great. I, I love... Um, <laughs> one of the things I want to talk about is just like the world-building um yeah. that he does he's he's kind of like a master world builder i feel like he's up there with like tolkien is like one of the, the greatest um and the the details he provides like you he really drops you into the deep the deep end here like you don't know what a deliverator is yet you know but like mm-hmm. talking about a gun that you have to plug into a cigarette lighter because it runs on electricity it's like okay we already have this whole cyberpunky vibe that we're getting from this my my memory is that as i was reading this last night he spends actually more time purposefully introducing you into the world than he does in any of the other books. I mean, Anathem, I think he spends some time there. It's like a 300 okay. page opening to Anathem with the yeah. glossary and everything. But yeah. Um, but we're, I mean, we're, like it we're starts, in LA. We're, we're in LA. We don't, we don't know that right away. I, I do love some of the details writing in the first paragraph. His uniform is black as activated charcoal, filtering the very light out of the air. And he describes he has a an arachnofiber weave. Do you remember when like 
like spider web is the strongest material known to men it was that was like a thing in the 90s i don't know if you remember mm. that no no it was like oh yeah man like like spider web if you like weave enough of it together it's like impenetrable it's like you know like perfect material uh his suit has sintered armor gel that feels like gritty jello and protects like a stack of telephone books so we're already like getting a vibe for like the technology that exists here it's definitely mm-hmm. more advanced than what we have now but it doesn't feel like it's not inspired at the time of the early 90s but a little a little blue collar like a stack of telephone books mm-hmm. i don't know yeah um it, so uh neighborhoods are replaced by burb claves which uh, i mean he's he's such a master of vocabulary both like real and made up that like you read bird clave and you know it's like okay suburb enclave like you can you already have this picture in your mind of like what a burb clave would be and mm-hmm. he kind of explains it further as you go yeah the punks and gila heights highlands weren't afraid of the gun so the deliberator was forced to use it yeah i love i love that as he's talking about that but then so since then he's he started carrying matching samurai swords which is the one thing he carries both in the real world and the metaverse yeah hero is awesome like as a character he's just like a complete badass and yet like it's kind of taking the piss out of him at the same time you know because he's just like this unemployed guy who lives in a cargo shed yeah with was like is a weird roommate Mm -hmm. my my great concern about neil stevenson is and i think you and i talked about some private we're both rick and morty fans but but all other rick and morty fans are fucking (laughs) terrible and i i just worry that i don't know people will take hero protagonists the wrong way i mean i think he should be enjoyed and good fun yeah but um you know not all characters need to be complete badasses although even in this book hero will come up against someone more badass than he is and like have a whole like mental reckoning of yeah he no longer needs to aspire to be cheap badass anymore he's met the the, the cheap which is which is why the the beauty of hero protagonist being such a badass and a cool guy is that you also are offset with how cool yt is Mm -hmm. um but yeah uh, and 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 how yt kind of like thinks he's a dork you know he's just like this old dork because she's a teenage girl and you know if anyone older than 18 to a teenage girl just seems lame oh shit i I think i talked about this before but like when i was in junior high and i watched reality bites i thought they were old people seriously yeah (laughs) um when discussing his car his special car this line i think you and i both love i mean if i've got we were gonna if if we're gonna do a bunch of tattoos we would tattoo this on our body when the deliverer puts the hammer down shit happens well, I'm just I think that's the first uh you know like curse word used so far and it's it really it's a hammer in itself it kind of lets you know like oh this is the tone you're going to get yeah. like this is this is a narrator who enjoys telling his story yeah so we get a little bit about the how the invisible hand of capitalism is, is not so invisible hand of capitalism is fuck this country and its future and and hero tells us there's only four things that America does right anymore music movies microcode meaning software and high speed pizza delivery that's what you know what the society is all about i also love a little before that it has a line about americans it says they have guns and no one can fucking stop them as a result this country has been one of the worst economies in the world <laughs> but i mean basically you're in the future where and i know this is old hacks again this is a cyberpunk novel making fun of cyberpunk novels but in a way back in the 90s when this was preceding a lot of the the things that we've seen since but everything is a is a a corporate nation yeah it's like a techno libertarian anarcho-capitalist dystopia basically is what he's describing and and i think even now reading it it's kind of terrifying it's like okay this isn't our world it's not that far away from our world yeah this is what a lot of people want for some Mm -hmm. reason 
Yeah, our hero's a, a freelance co-jockey who doesn't play well with others. It's been uh, delivering uh, pizza deliveries, pizzas for six months, which is a record long employment for him. Uh, and in the future, when you could do whatever the fuck you want, if you don't get your pizza in 30 minutes, the deliverator has never delivered a pizza in more than 21 minutes. I like the little kind of like personal character building he offers here. The deliverer's report card would say, Hero is so bright and creative, but needs to work harder on his cooperation skills. So, you know, right away that this guy is, uh, you know, he's a loose cannon. Yeah, he's our lone wolf. Um, he went to Cosa Nostra Pizza University, which is a four year university. Yeah. Actually, he didn't go, but people who, who worked there, people go. Do he go. just delivers. Yeah. I mean, the book has got, it's definitely a much more cerebral idiocracy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've got a, a long segment I want to read here just because I, I feel like it encapsulates a lot of the kind of underpinning um, ideology, I guess you could say, of the book. He's cool. des- describing um, the Cosa Nostra PC University. He says that they studied the problem, graphed the frequency of doorway delivery time disputes, wired the early deliberators to record, then analyze the debating tactics, the voice stress histograms, the distinctive grammatical structures employed by white, middle-class, type-A, birthclave occupants, who against all logic had decided that this was the place to take their personal custodian stand against all that was stale and deadening in their lives. They were going to lie or delude themselves about the time of their phone call and get themselves a free pizza. No, they deserve the free pizza along with their life, liberty, and pursuit of whatever. It was fucking inalienable. Sent psychologists out to these people's houses, gave them a free TV set to submit to an anonymous interview, hooked them to polygraphs, studied their brainwaves as they showed them choppy inexplicable movies of prom queens and late night car crashes and Sammy Davis Jr. Put them in sweet smelling mauve walled rooms and asked them questions about ethics so perplexing that even a Jesuit couldn't respond without committing a venial sin. The analytics at Costa Nostra Pizza University concluded that it was just human nature and he couldn't fix it. So they went for a quick, cheap, fix, technical fix and smart boxes. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that kind of sums up the ideology it's like you know it turns out it's just fucking human nature and all the technology in the world can't really understand it so we just put a fucking timer on the box seriously if you if you ground up pinch on and jg ballard put them in a syringe and injected them into either like like your forehead veins or your penis veins like that's that's this writing style you can tell that stevenson is just i i I, there's very few examples that i've ever had of a writer who's clearly just fucking around mm-hmm. and fucking loving it um, he's indulgent in all the ways that are fun all right i guess yeah. at least to us i know there are some people who don't appreciate 10 page long chapters about eating a bowl of captain crunch but yeah, you know. yeah. i was just thinking of that yeah uh so <laughs> the, the classic smart... example of neil yeah. stevenson as most excessive uh but pizzas that have been smart boxes that took away the time that it hasn't been delivered yet and fits into special slots in the car like circuit boards fitting into a computer uh, I love this detail. The, the pizza doesn't get to where it needs to be within 30 minutes. Word goes out to Uncle en- Enzo, the Sicilian Colonel Sanders of pizza. He's calling the customer five minutes later to apologize profusely. The next morning, he's landing his helicopter on the customer's lawn. He gives him a free trip to Italy. All they have to do for is first sign some releases, which will make them a public figure and end their private life forever. Yeah. He will come away from the whole thing feeling that somehow he owes the mafia a favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is like, and I say, I always say, like, I fucking hate mafia movies. Like, this is the kind of mafia I can get behind. That's the mafia is like their main enterprise is pizza delivery. Yeah, they, they're yeah, I, just like they have a monopoly on it. High speed pizza delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, delivery hasn't heard what happened to the drivers who failed, but he's heard rumors. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no competition in the Costa Nostra pizza because com- competition goes against the mafia way. You do this because everything else on the line: your name, your honor, your family, your life. <laughs> uh, and then and then he's just like oh yeah i work in the valley yeah oh one thing here i think this is the first mention of it um 
So I had I I, I looked this up because I was like, are we supposed to say Nipponese? Is that a slur? Um, as far as I can tell, that's just the way that Japan, like Nippon, is how Japan is like pronounced yeah. by the Japanese. It's kind of like Deutschland for Germany. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. And he's someone feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I can tell from my research, it's not considered like a slur or anything. And extreme apologies in advance if yeah. we're incorrect. But but throughout his oeuvre, he says Nippon. I think it's it's supposed to suggest that Japan has like a, a larger place of power in this kind of alternate universe, you know, speculative fiction that he writes that like their name for themselves is what is used by the world instead of like a mispronunciation, essentially. Also, do you remember in the nineties, there was this kind of like suburban white kid fight club wink to each other. Like, Oh yeah, I watch anime. I know my, it shit. was still very underground. Yeah. Also like, in the also the early nineties was a huge era of Japan bashing too. And so well, it, it's possible. 80s, that, yeah. yeah. It's possible. Yeah. That this is kind of a, a reaction or a corrective to that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, back when it, when the only real mainstream, if you could call it that, exposure we had to anime was once a year. Or once a year, Sci-Fi Channel would have an anime week. And it was like I don't know, like Project AO or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, security guard. He was a security guard in another burp clay. Before he got fired before pulling a sword on a perp. Yes. The perp ended up being the son of the VIP. So a hero got fired and had to pay a settlement and had to borrow from the mafia to do so, which basically led to him getting this job. He says, it's like being in a family, a really scary, twisted, abusive family. Yeah, we also learned that he's on Vista Road, which used to belong to the state of California, is now called Fairlanes, Inc. So we see that like a lot of institutions and public uh, infrastructure has been corporatized and privatized. There's fairways and cruiseways are the two. Or Fairlanes well, and, 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 and cruiseways. There's entities who are just laying down new roads constantly for, for cash. Uh, we hear of another type of car other than Hero's car, the bimbo box. Yes, the minivan, as we'll yeah. learn later. Also, another great concept here that I love, which I feel like this is a word that should have taken off the same way like Metaverse, Metaverse or Avatar is, is um, the low glow, which mm. is like describing the, the glow that various logo billboards in neon give off. You know, like the low glow is just like this ever-present thing and, and the cyberpunk dystopia, oh, like lighting yeah. up the night. That's some real Blade Runner shit right there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, we find a little more world building. There's a, a, a country that used to be part of the Soviet Union, Abkhazia. Yeah, I, I I don't think this is based on anything real as far as I know, but yeah. No. Um, so he gets back to Pizza HQ. There's a delay because there's a fire inside. New employee put his lunch in the microwave with foil on it. So it's like, okay. This is still a world I kind of understand. It's not too futuristic. There's a little thing he does here. He's describing pulling up to the window and he says the window slides open and, you know, are you sitting down? Smoke comes out of it. Like it's, it's very conversational. Also, we get a mention of the Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates franchise. Like hmm. it's like, uh, you know, religion has become a franchise. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the danger of influence in so many ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, the, there's not like a, a narrator per se. This feels like a Neil Stevenson type is telling us. This it feels story. like somebody who might have just done a bump of coke is just yeah. like just unloading the most insane story to you at a party or something. Oh yeah. god, the energy! I mean, I feel like the editor could have been getting like 200 pages a day and been like, "How are you, how are you writing all this?" Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the delay, deliverator is given a pizza assignment. The pizza is already 20 minutes old, and the delivery address is 12 miles away. That's Fuck the end yeah. of chapter one. Oh shit. 
Yeah, great in chapter one. Uh, chapter two, I love this passage beginning. His emotions tell him to go back and kill that manager, get his swords out of the trunk, dive in through the little sliding window like a ninja, track him down through the moiling chaos of the microwave franchise and confront him in a climatic thick crust apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so on the drive, the roads are packed. We discovered that taxi drivers speak a different language, taxilinga. Yeah, that you have to, you can like take a course to learn, and like one word out of a hundred is English or something. Yeah. Uh, Delivery has warning lights on his car. He gets uh, stuck in traffic of a with a pizza getting like older and colder. And he, extra detail: his bladder is full. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, like his the deliverator's car has like. Some sort of like headlight system that's like a combination like siren headlights that like mm-hmm. it just looks like roaring flames coming up behind you in the rearview mirror to like get you to pull over. Yeah, I, I just kept in my mind because whatever picturing like a really modified DeLorean. I mean, I all black like, though. Yeah, yeah, it felt like a very futuristic look to start my my. Do they all drive on. deliverator cars? I guess they must. I presume so. Yeah, because he, he owes the mafia a car later. Um, yeah, he's thinking about cutting through this one burb clave. Uh, there's one yard that he could drive through to get where he's going faster. But the security forces might be waiting of STDs, severe t- tire damage devices. I like the the this burb clave is called the Muse at Windsor Heights, and all of those have they, it says they all have the same layout. When creating a new burb clave, the Muse at Windsor Heights Development Corporation will chop down any mountain ranges and divert the course of any mighty rivers that threaten to interrupt the street plan ergonomically designed to encourage driving safely safety so like mm-hmm. it's like every one of these little like developments is exactly the same like no. ever anywhere you go in the world it's like if if the muse at windsor heights is there it's going to look exactly the same the exact same streets that same layout same houses everything mm-hmm. uh, as he's driving he realizes that he's been pooned basically meaning that <laughs> a courier on a skateboard has fired a harpoon that is stuck to the back of his car and is riding along with him which is a concept that I, I guess I first saw with my eyes in Back, Back to the Future. Yeah, then saw it perfected in uh, Tailspin. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Courier, courier spelled with a K from Radicus, Radical Courier Systems. They're like a bike messenger, but a hundred times more irritating because they don't pedal under their own power. They just latch on and slow you down. Mm-hmm. This wheel there in his white tee. He rules. Yeah, but because he's in a hurry, so naturally this courier would latch onto him. Uh, we talk about franchise-owned quasi-national entities. Oh, real quick, Whitey like slaps this like LED thing on the his stickers. window that says that was stale. Like, I don't know, does she just have those? Like, does so she program them somehow on the run? The stickers can be slapped onto a car that like have like uh, like a light-up message mm-hmm. where they could like the career can dunk on you. It <laughs> says the, the the stickers take hours to get off and cost trillions of dollars. <laughs> Um, the delivery has two things. Let's quote: Delivery has two things on his agenda now. He's going to shake the street scum, whatever it takes, and deliver the fucking pizza in all the space of twenty four twenty three is the time on the pizza. The next five minutes and thirty seven seconds. Yeah, franchise organized quasi national entities, which are like that's like what one of these burb clays is. It's like the like government like seemingly has collapsed or has no no power anymore. It's like these are all these little independent nations everywhere. Hmm. Uh, so part of the fear of having uncle Enzo call the person who gets their pizza 30 seconds and 30 minutes and two seconds late is that uh, uncle Enzo has to interrupt whatever his life is. So the cur- or so uh, as, as a uh, hero is distracted by the courier, he's wondering what uncle Enzo is up to at this moment. And he says in the bath, maybe or taking a crap, 
or making love to some actress or teaching Sicilian songs to one of his 26 granddaughters. <laughs> yeah, so he has this whole plan. He's going to take a shortcut through this bird clave because he knows like they're designed in a certain way where there's just like one lawn that you can like drive over this lawn out the other side and you were on the street again and you like exit the burp clave and you took a yeah. massive shortcut. Um, so but there's a fence. Yeah. That's his plan. He realizes maybe he made a wrong turn somewhere as he catapults into an empty backyard swimming pool. <laughs> so he's in it's a, yeah, it's empty. So he just like crashes. He can't even like skim across it. And he's, it's like uh 25, 17 on the clock there. And he's like, well, I'm fucked. But then, Somebody rolls up and says, where's it going? It's a woman. It's the courier. Teenage, a fucking teenage girl. It describes her. Yeah. And she's just uh, like skating up and down the pool like a skater, like going back and forth. She takes the pizza and Hero's business card, which says, Hero protagonist, last of the freelance hackers, greatest sword fighter in the, sword fighter in the world, Stringer, Central Intelligence Corporation, specializing in software-related intel, and in parentheses, music, movies, and microcode. It's like if you asked a uh, a tech person back in the early '90s, "What's the coolest business card you could possibly have?" It would be this. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. In the back are, are, are the card are numbers and an address in the metaverse. Um, she she <laughs> why did she take the card? Stupid name. But he says, "But you'll never forget it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got to go to White Columns Five Oglethorpe Circle. His heart expands uh, to twice its normal size. Tears come through his eyes. He may live. Yeah. Gets out of the car, takes his swords, plots his escape from the burb clave, knowing that he may have to evade the burb clave cops, which he used to be one of. Yeah. She says the name's YT, which we'll learn later what that means. Um, the, uh, the smart wheels on her skateboard sound interesting. It's like, it's like not a wheel, but like a bunch of spokes that like expand and retract to fit the shape of the ground. I also, yeah. I also wonder like how big are these wheels? It seems like they must be huge. In right. order to like, like they'd have to be like six inches around at least. But yeah. I don't know. It's a great detail at the end of this chapter where the father of the family of the pool, he just crashed into starting to come out of the house. And he's describing this like suburban bliss. And he just kind of says, it's a family like he used to belong to until about five minutes ago. <laughs> also, he describes like the, the kids all warm and fuzzy in their little crypts and ninja raft warriors pajamas, <laughs> uh, which can be either flame proof or non carcinogenic, but not both at the same time. Just the idea of like Lil Crips is like like a branding thing that you could, you know, get like pajamas in. Yeah. So then chapter three is a little interesting. We we shift, you know, from this scene to hero protagonists and his roommate. It's like a few weeks uh, later. Yeah. Vitaly or Vitaly Chernobyl. Vitaly Chernobyl, sorry. Now the, the party down pronunciations fucked me. <laughs> um they're roommates in a 20 by 30 storage unit uh in a in a company called You Store It by the airport. Oh, and it's uh, like it's this idea that like once upon a time people would start living in uh like storage uh compartments for cheap, even though they weren't supposed to. But like now is this is like literally like this is like a housing yeah. you know concern. It's no longer like just a storage yeah. place anymore. Yeah. It describes like these are slum housings, five by tens and ten by tens where Yeno y- I can't even pronounce this. Yanoma tribes persons cook beans and parboil fistfuls of cocoa leaves over heaps of burning lottery tickets. Yeah. Which is which is people living in storage units was a joke that was like like so prevalent in the 90s to the point where the Simpsons had a great joke when uh 
uh, Milhouse's dad first gets kicked out of the oh, house yeah. by the mom. He moves into a storage unit, and the guy running it's like, "Do you want the customary poke of a stick in the morning?" <laughs> um, so there's a bit about how in the back in the good old days, when you store it was used for its original purpose, which was providing storage space for Californians with too much shit, that people would rent out a unit, fill it with barrels of toxic sludge under a fake name, and then disappear, leaving it to the used storage corporation to deal with. So they just left it there, wrote it off. And now some of the tenants are haunted by the smell. Yeah, and it became like a story that the residents would tell their children to keep them from trying to break into padlocked units. Yeah. Uh, we learned um, about Vitaly. He owns a half cart and a Lucky Strikes and electric guitar and a hangover. Yeah. So it's mentioned that no one will break into Hero and Vitaly's place because there's nothing worth stealing. And at this point in their lives, neither one of them is important enough to kill, kidnap, or interrogate. We get a little bit of kind of physical description of Hero. He has cappuccino skin and spiky truncated dreadlocks. Uh, his mother is Korean by way of Nippon and his father who was African by way of Texas, by way of the army. So kind of picture such a person in your mind. I think he describes he has like high cheekbones. Um, Receding hairline. Yeah. Which he's a little concerned about because he's not that old. Wraparound goggles would have uh, built in earphones. His, um, his father looted his swords from Japan after world war two when atomic. So like, I mean, if his dad looted them, if his dad was in the army in World War II, that'd be like, you know, say he's like 18 and 45 or so. So even if his dad had him pretty late in life, like it can't be that far into the future, really. You know, like if his dad had him in like the 70s, even it's, you know, still a book written in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It's almost like an alternate 90s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's uh, really more of like an alternate 90s. It seems like than like a, a future story in a way. Yeah. Which is it's just, just a reminder of how fucking old we are because mm-hmm. back then the future was now or quite frankly, we've passed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he's talking about his two Nipponese swords, he has this great truism. When you are wrestling for a possession of a sword, the man with the handle always wins. Yes. <laughs> we learned that in the worldwide community of hackers, Hero is a talented drifter. And he has his, uh, after he got fired from being a deliberator, his auxiliary emergency backup job is freelance stringer for the CIA. Central Intelligence Corporation of Langley, Virginia. So it's like the CIA has been converted to another corporation. Which which I, I want to say it's like the CIA combined with like the Library of Congress. Yeah. And most people are not entirely clear on what the word Congress means. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, and speaking of like the old system, he talks about how with his dad, it was before the military was split up. So now we have, for example, General Jim's Defense System and Admiral Bob's National Security. <laughs> Yeah, I like how he describes like how the Library of Congress and the Central Intelligence merged. It was like, for, uh, it's like they they got to the point where they kind of became the same thing, just like cataloging information. And fortunately, mm-hmm. this fortuitously this happened just as the government is falling apart anyway. So they merged and kicked out a big fat stock offering. <laughs> so that's yeah. that's the world we live in here. Oh uh, yeah, Vitaly so basically. Tr- oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go go. I was going to say Vitaly Chernobyl. He describes um his music as Ukrainian nuclear fuzz grunge collective. Uh, which he like he got tipped off by some or other courier to like the existence of this guy and like his music scene and so he like put a lot of work into like cataloging this guy and the whole scene hoping that mm-hmm. somebody uh accessing the the library would like pay for it but like so mm-hmm. far no dice so basically the way he works is he's always looking for gossip or information that'd be interesting he uploads it to the library of the cic and then if some client finds it useful or interesting he gets paid so he gives an example that a year earlier, he uploaded a script that he got out of an agent's trash. Other studios wanted to see it. And that fed Hero for six months. Yeah. 
Um, and we get the description of the computer that powers the goggles that uh, one enters the metaverse in. I mean, I feel like most people have at least a layman's concept of the metaverse by now, I assume. Mm. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> like the, he's describing this like lens. And he just writes, Hero finds it erotic. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, it's like um, there's like this computer with a lens on top and the lens shoots like red, green and blue lasers onto the goggles that are basically just like drawing in uh, I think it says 2k resolution, which is pretty funny. Cause I think 8k is like the, the minimum standard these days for like good VR, but mm-hmm. it's basically just drawing an image right onto your eyeballs. Uh, this yep. laser is, which is like pretty much exactly what um, the goggles and ready player Four or ready player one do, except I think it's like rather than something beaming to the goggles, it's just the goggles themselves are drawing mm-hmm. the laser, but it's, it's like the exact same te- technology, which is pretty funny. The images are updated 72 times a second. Also, we learned that Hero hasn't been laid in a while. Yeah. Uh, so he's so in, entering the metaverse and approaching the street with the capital S there. This is the Broadway of the metaverse. It says he spends a lot of time in the metaverse, which beats spending time in his storage unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a big house in the metaverse. Uh, we get a description of the Earth's population, somewhere between 6 and 10 billion people with maybe a billion of them being able to afford a computer worldwide. Yeah, there's some like numerology stuff here, like the the number of kilometers the, meta, the street goes around the metaverse Earth is 65,536, which is like 2 to the 16th power. And this is all, I feel like, even if you don't really know anything about computer code, it kind of like, it gets you into a vibe of like the numbers and like the the focus on binary and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I like how he describes like so. There's it's like a virtual street, and like you know, companies like buy up the uh, the street and get permits and, and whatnot. You know, like virtual development. And he says the money these corporations pay to build these things on the street all goes into a trust fund owned and operated by the uh, GMPG, which is like the organization which like pays for developing and expanding the machinery that enables the street to exist. Which is like a very kind of like hand wavy like tech bro solution for like the tragedy of the commons it's like oh yeah well, all that money just goes into a trust fund and you know uh there's some some sort of like cyber monks like manage this and there's no graft or corruption there you know somehow it's like yeah. the the thing that powers the metaverse is the one thing not touched by dystopia <laughs> right 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 um a detail that comes up in a later chapter that i find fascinating is that because there's so many people on the street and it, it would be like a fucking clusterfuck and traffic jam. Mm-hmm. People on the street just walk through each other like ghosts. Well, and the way he describes it, he says the computer doesn't worry about that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we find out that uh, Hero and his buddies were like like OG hackers back in the day. They got in on the metaverse early. As some people are hoping to do right now. Uh, and a lot of Hero's buddies uh, got a head start. Some got very rich off it. That's why Hero has a big, nice house in the metaverse, but he has to share a 20 by 30 in reality. Real estate acumen does not always extend across universes. Which I think is like a real, I don't know, mindset in these like tech bros. This idea that like, I don't know, like you should have got in on whatever. I mean, that's earlier. the whole grift about Bitcoin and NFT, NFTs and the metaverse and whatnot. It's yeah. like, it's like, hey, man, you got to get on this, get in on this early and like buy up your, your virtual property because it's going to be valuable. And it's like, mm, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we back in the day, it was like about squatting on web addresses, you know, like, oh, you got to get the, the good URL while you still can. And then, so you still, you, you scoop up like julia roberts.com yeah. and you sell it to her. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but it, it's just an interesting way that. So I I rewatched uh, uh, Disclosure over the weekend. Oh wow! Why? Shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of love that movie. It's, I've actually it's never re- seen it. It just didn't oh, really feeling to me. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a ridiculously dumb '90s movie. But it's not, okay. So you haven't seen it. So you haven't seen. I know the there's corridor. a dumb virtual reality like yeah. office space or whatever like filing system, right? It, yeah, it's it's such a weird. I don't know. I would love to, to discuss that if you'd actually seen the movie. But like, it reminded me a little bit. They made fun of it in the in Community mm-hmm. when uh, they buy a VR thing. Anyway, um, I, I like to think about the 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 street looking like that. But yeah, it's it's a fun way to envision the internet because I I haven't seen all of Hackers, but isn't there a lot of just like almost like a physical space that the lasers fly through that's supposed to consist yeah, of the internet it's, hacking. It's, we were really big on that in the 90s. It was um, visualizing cyberspace as like a real place with buildings and and whatnot. Like you you physically move something to the trash. I mean, I guess it was all an outgrowth of like the Macintosh operating huh. system, you know, like, like uh, you know, user interfaces. Well, it's uh, like they had to show things in cyberspace the same way that tony scott shot planes for top gun you know like yeah well it's like it was like a literal virtual filing cabinet that you would open up and take a file out of and put it back yeah which would take forever Mm -hmm. take forever Uh, we Uh, learned that it's always nighttime in the metaverse yeah and that like the street is like the sky and the ground are like all black like a computer screen that hasn't had anything drawn on it yet i mean like for fun just just imagine this book and how it describes the metaverse and then go and watch like uh like the san junipero episode of black mirror which is almost the same thing where it's always like a different club in the 80s or in a different decade but it's always nighttime anyway mm-hmm. chapter um, four before you get to chapter four there's just one oh. little passage i like it says in real world planet earth reality there are somewhere between six and ten billion people at any given time most of them are making mud bricks or field stripping their ak-47s <laughs> that's like a very cynical tone you know yeah i mean that's stevenson uh, but, though right but he's like he kind of does the math like it's like okay out of all the people in the world there's so many people who have computers so many of them who like you know have ones powerful enough to handle the street protocol so it's basically there are about 60 60 million people on the street at any given time and maybe another 60 million who can't really afford it but go to like public machines to use it and he says that's why the damn place is so overdeveloped Put in a sign or a building on the street, and a hundred, a hundred million richest, hippest, most connected people on Earth will see it every day of their lives. Which so just like makes a, me it's wonder. It's like an early Twitter. Can I go log into Second Life now? I have no idea. Or is it just like the deadest of dead? I mean, I assume it's just Edonia. like requires somebody running a server. Like, there's tons hmm. of those now, though. Like, you know, Second Life is just one of many. Hmm. I mean, I guess Minecraft is essentially a Second Life. Sure. Roblox. Uh, so chapter four, White we're back of YT. Uh, she's delivering the pizza, finding out about her fans. We find out about her fancy skateboard and her smart wheels. A lot of info about how her poon works and her. Uh, There's a lot real- of like totally radical verbiage here. Like yeah. any surfer who tried to groove that Vard, meaning Boulevard, on a stock plank would have been sneezing brains. Yeah. She's got like a real cowabunga yeah. kind of mindset to things. Um, some real magical disdain for the bimbo box. And we're approaching apartheid burb claves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. White columns is, uh, yeah, it's like all Southern plantation shit. 
Uh, uh, we see the people who order the pizza who are out on their lawn cheering, thinking that they've won the lottery because it's like 29 minutes and like, you know, like, like less than a minute to go to the pizza delivered. I like, how she, their- I like how she describes, um, like spinning her poon around like a lasso. Yeah. She writes, this is unnecessary, but sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, to their shock, YT shows up just in time to drop off the pizza, like at their feet with six seconds to spare. Meanwhile, the mafia have a helicopter overhead to record the guy getting his pizza so that he won't take his case to the legal system to argue for a free pizza. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed her like trip, like pooning onto some, like what she described him as a it's young studly, the teenage boy who, like every other boy in this bird play, has been taking intravenous shots of horse testosterone every afternoon in high school or locker room since he was 14 years old. Now he's bulky, stupid, thoroughly predictable. Yeah. The molded leather grain maroon colored ceiling rear smells like his mother's hand lotion. This drives him into a rage. <laughs> and she's like, I mean, she's like just hauling ass on a skateboard at one point. She says she could touch the pavement with one hand. She's healed over so hard. So she just like these smart wheels are like these magical skateboard wheels that like grip the road surface perfectly using like millimeter wave. He loves millimeter wave. I feel like that comes up in a lot of his books like sonar. And what is that? It's it's basically like a really fine tune like sensor you know that can that can okay. sense objects basically um in the theory same... that's like what self-driving cars would be using as like millimeter wave to judge okay other objects and but their same location. kind of like pinging and then getting like an yeah. location back okay. yeah um yeah yt is interested to find a hero to parlay what she knows for a little cash and one thing she knows is that now the mafia fucking owes her one yeah i love that last line um, but she delivers it with, I think it was like a 29.54, I think is the time. Yeah. 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 Got it there just in time. Yeah. <laughs> like at one point she says, white tea is bored. <laughs> uh, we also, we learned that videotape is cheap, which I, I thought is funny of all the, like the cyberpunkish com- computer stuff in this. It's like, they're still shooting stuff on videotape. Yeah. Cause yeah. I don't know if maybe people just couldn't conceptualize the idea of pure digital video at the time or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you got to have a home for the little girl from the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so chapter five, we get Hero in the Metaverse. And we're hearing about avatars and what have you. Um, good description for what you can make your avatar look like. Anything. You can look like a gorilla or a dragon or a giant talking penis in the Metaverse. Spend five minutes walking down the street and you will see all those. Hero's avatar just looks like Hero, with the difference that no matter what Hero is wearing in reality, his avatar always wears a black leather kimono. Wow. <laughs> and he's got um, the swords, of course. You can't materialize just anywhere in the metaverse because uh, they admit, I love that they admit that it breaks the metaphor because mm-hmm. they pretend this is reality. You materialize in your own house unless you don't have one, meaning you don't have the money for one. So there's like public terminals where the, the poor people with their like poor, you know, stock avatars can, can. Yeah, I love the description of um, like the avatars that these he sees like two, some kids on a double date and he says the other girl's a Brandy. Her date is a Clint. Brandy and Clint are both popular off the shelf models of, of avatars. Uh, when white trash high school girls are going on a date in the metaverse, they invariably run down to the computer game section of the local Walmart and buy a copy of Brandy. The user can select three breast sizes, improbable, impossible and ludicrous. <laughs> It was just like, I feel like this is like almost exactly ripped off in Ready Player One. The idea of the, like the, the cheap stock avatars that you can get, you know. I, I, so I should say, Neil Stevenson now is a number one New York Times bestselling author for whatever that means. For whoever the people <laughs> who are rushing out on those Tuesdays 
to buy the new Neil, Neil Stevenson. Someone's novel. buying them. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I got to get my James Patterson and my fucking Neil Stevenson. Uh, I, I still feel like this book is, uh, it has to be to these people, but I feel like it's not as well known. And I feel like Ernest Klein relies upon that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was very well known among maybe the older generation. I feel like a lot of younger people probably have not read it or aware of it, even though like, I feel like this book is like, in some ways it like predicts the future. And in other ways it's like the future became this because it inspired a lot of tech dudes back in the nineties to make this stuff. You know, it's like yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I mean, but there's, there's, you know, th- there's something to be said for time in, in your media literacy mm-hmm. and that I'm sure people who have seen bits and pieces of things from the past, will see like a new Spielberg movie and say, Hey, this guy's ripping off ET, yeah. you know, or whatever. Um, yeah, so Hero, he's, he muses that he could go work for a video game company, but he doesn't want to work in a cubicle or be an assembly line lurker. He's worker. not so poor yet that he would go and write video games for a company. I also mentioned some currency here. We have Kong bucks and yen, Yeah, which um, I think we, we'll learn later. Those are like the good uh, currencies, mm. like US dollars are like a joke. Yeah. Um, but speaking of his, his, his poor fortunes, he does mention that he now owes the mafia the cost of one car. <laughs> Uh, I like that he's talking about the, you know, the horrible grind of uh, like computer coding is like factory work now. He says, worse yet, they may become managers who never get to write any code themselves. Hmm. Uh, There's a place called the Black Sun, which is like basically like a cyber nightclub that uh, Hero and and David wrote. Uh, David with a five instead of a V, which is pretty cool. When I first read this in my mind. I kept trying to like autocorrect to like day five Eid or something I kept, like that. I kept that. thinking like day fid, like with an F instead of a, a V. Okay. Yeah. But okay. Uh, but that's where we get to mention that to avoid crowds and bottlenecking on the street, avatars just walk through each other. Uh, there are groupies outside Black Sun hoping that David, the owner and hacker in chief, will notice them. As we learned that uh, in the entire world, there are only a couple thousand people who can step over the line and into the Black Sun that have an invite. Mm-hmm. And he is one of them because he's like, it's like he's the classic protagonist, you know, hero protagonist who like is down on his luck, lives in like a storage thing, is you know, like unemployed and struggling for work. But he happens to be like one of these OG hackers who knows all the other OGs who are super rich. And so like he has access to this exclusive world, even though he's not really one of them. Yeah. 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 Um, so we got our first mention of Snow Crash as someone offers it to Hero. Uh, I love this line. You can't sell drugs in the metaverse because you can't get high by looking at something. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll learn more about this person later, but they're described as uh, there's one black and white avatar who stands out because he's taller than the rest. He has long black hair parted in the middle, like a curtain to reveal a tattoo on his forehead. But because of the shitty resolution, he can't see the tattoo clearly. And he, this person has a wispy Fu Manchu mustache. Heroes never heard of Snow Crash the drug before, but Snow Crash the name is something is something that can happen to your computer and fuck it up. Yeah, so that's a snow crash in computer lingo. It means a system crash, a bug at such a fundamental level that it frags the part of the computer that controls the electron beam in the monitor, making it spray wildly across the screen, turning the perfect grid work of pixels into a gyrating blizzard. So like static, basically. Yeah. That's what Snow Crash is. The drug dealer has a hypercard, which is like a business card, but it can convey any type of info, uh, pictures, sound, text, whatever. Just by uh, taking the hypercard, you know, avatar to avatar, the data file would get transferred from the one person's computer to another's. 
And so, well, uh, this guy he he knows Hero. Like when when he sees him, he grins. It's a satisfied grin, a grin of recognition, a grin mm-hmm. of a man who knows something Hero doesn't. And he says, "Hey, Hero, want to try some Snow Crash?" And it's like that's weird. This guy knows my name. Yeah, uh, I I just remember when I think about this, I remember like, do you remember that brief thing where I don't remember which phone company it was, but it was this thing where like if I wanted to transfer a file to you, we would like tap phones together or something. Sure, I remember the whole bump thing back in the day. Yeah, yeah early yeah, which, iOS days, which really takes away the the original majestic meaning of hey, do you want to do a bump? <laughs> which is something much different. But yeah, so Hero says, does it fuck up your brain or your computer? And the guy says both neither what's the difference yes i love that i don't get this what is snow crash it's a drug asshole what do you think <laughs> and finally hero is basically like fuck this and goes inside the black sun yeah because because he suspects that that hypercard just has a, a wide variety of nasty computer viruses on it and so he's like why why did i just waste 60 seconds talking to this weird paranoid schizophrenic i'm just going inside so that is yeah. where we leave off at the end of chapter five it's a good book I mean, if you've never read the book, first of all, I guess we should mention, like, I guess people should be reading along and and maybe just want to listen to us talk about it. Um, But if you haven't read the book, I would definitely encourage you to. Um, Absolutely. Just because we're we're just pulling out excerpts here, but there's lots of good juicy stuff in there. Yeah, it's he's just a a master. He's a fucking maestro of tone. And like some of these paragraphs we're pulling out are just a, a drop in the fucking bucket of just the. I don't know the prose gymnastics that he does yeah. at times. Well, and I would say I don't. I don't think Snow Crash is his best book by far, but I think reading these earlier books will prepare you for like his true masterpieces. Like I feel like you could just go read Anathem right now and probably mm-hmm. mostly enjoy it, but I think it would you would be eased into it much more smoothly if you've read these books too. You'd kind of have an expectation of the way he writes and like his his style and his tone because like Anathem, it's like. 1100 pages long or something like that and like it, it takes 300 pages to really get going which you might think is insane but like if you're into him as a writer you'll be wearing willing to make that journey and it definitely pays off yeah you have you have more more trust and i i think subject matter not uh, somewhat but like just in general the vibes like his books build on each other even if they're not all connected yeah yeah only a few of his books are like literally connected like yeah. character plot wise um but they're all, I mean, he, he describes it, what he writes as speculative fiction yeah. rather than like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, have we uh, covered everything we want to cover on this first episode? Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, if you're not, if your brain's not a little bit hard for this, I, I don't know what to do. It's worth a read. I'll say that. Yeah. yeah. Go get yourself some snow crash. It fucks up your brain and your computer. <laughs> Uh, we'll be doing I suppose uh, chapter 6 through 10 next time right sounds about right yeah and uh, we'll catch up to you then okay bye bye bye